Hello, everyone. Welcome to our May episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Max. And my name is Josh. And today we are here with Ian Hughes. Ian, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we are super excited to talk about your band's uh, recent record and about you and kind of what you're up to. Uh, for those listening, Ian is a fantastic guitarist. He's a staple in the Seattle scene. Uh, you play other instruments as well. You play uh, drums, bass. Is that I piano? dabble. Yeah. A little bit. Little drums, bit? Okay. bass, piano. I maybe work on vocals with uh, with students from time to time. I used oh, to sing wow. a little bit more, but, but not so much anymore. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I've seen you in, in pretty much every possible corner of the Seattle music scene. Um, you're quite That's the talented true. individual. <laughs> and yeah, so you have a band called Freudian Slurp. Yeah. Is that correct? That's that is correct. You got it. You said it. You pronounced it right. <laughs> cool. Before yeah. we even get into more details, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about that name? <laughs> um, I don't know about y'all, but I, I used to keep like a little list on my phone of stupid band names. <laughs> I have one on my phone right now. Yeah, right. Fact. And and somehow I just decided when I started kind of getting this sort of project together that this is the one. And you know, you get stuck. <laughs> cool. Right. I suppose we could change it, but after ten years, it feels a little strange to do that. So, uh, whoa, has this project been around for ten years? Yeah, yeah. There or maybe nine. Yeah, oh wow, say, that's a long time. Well, yeah, and when it's been different, it's it, I'm I'm the last original member. Mm, um, I see. <laughs> so Whoa. it's been a lot of different uh, different people at different points. But my brother's been playing with us for probably eight of those years. Mm, and that's great, bassist. Dylan, right? Playing bass, Dylan, Dylan Hughes, yeah, fantastic bass player. That's awesome. Well, I'm really curious. How did the project get started? Um, I, you know, I had, it's kind of funny. I had a new apartment where I could play suddenly and I was nice. like, all right, let's get some people over to play. And I had some tunes and things, stuff that was left over from an old band. And we just kind of started jamming a little bit and I was kind of like, all right, good. You're in my band now. And it's called Freudian Slurp nice. and started booking some shows and playing and when we first started the band, um, I mean, when I first started the band, uh, I had, I think it was about 50, 50. I was singing stuff. Not really, not, I'm like, I don't really sing in a jazz style. So mm. it was, it was almost at odds with itself. I, I'm not sure you might be able to still find those tracks on Spotify or something from the, <laughs> uh, the original album, um, edible complex. Uh, and yeah, I, I would like to get rid of those. <laughs> you can go back and, and find me singing and it's kind of almost prog, prog rock a little bit or alternative or something. And then we'll have an instrumental that's very saxophone jazz driven. So it was a little all over the place. Uh, it, it really took until the second record where it started feeling like one concise sound. Mm, very cool. Well, this record definitely does feel like a concise um, thing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I think we got it this time. <laughs> different, different dimensions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, you mentioned. I've heard, oh, go ahead. You've mentioned um, l that you're the only original member of this band, and I, I know that between this record and the one immediately previous, there was a significant lineup change too. And yeah. I'm curious. I think uh, I know some folks when they go through a massive lineup change, it ends up ends up just being a different project. But this is still the same one. And can you tell me tell me about that? Like, does it feel different to you, or does it feel like spiritually the same? And uh, how does that different lineup change how how the band feels to play in? That is an interesting question. Um, I I do generally feel pretty um i feel like this album does follow in the footsteps of the second album getting mm. 
Uh, it definitely has different sounds, but the emphasis on groove mm-hmm. is the same. Uh, the emphasis on having melodies that someone might be able to hum is the same. Yeah, it, it does feel like it came from the same place to me. Sure. And I think if it didn't, I would have considered renaming. Um, I think there was also a need for me to make another album with this project just to kind of reclaim the project. Mm-hmm. Because the circumstances in which the lineup changed wasn't uh wasn't ideal. Sure. There was some mm-hmm. some not great blood as a result of of uh that change or the the need for that to change, which is something I'd rather not dig into today. Totally. Um but but it was this feeling of like, no, this is my band and I kind of need to I need to do at least one more. Mm. And kind of make it make it my own. Sure, cool. Well, tell us about who's playing in the band now, and uh, and how you met these folks. Um, well, uh, as I mentioned before, the bass player is my older brother, so uh, I've known him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although we didn't start playing music together until I was eighteen or so. Really? Uh, yeah, well, you know, he he he's a bass player. So as as happens with many bass players, he was in a band before he even owned the instrument. I was going <laughs> right? to say bass players play with everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's in middle school and his friends start a band and they're like, "We need a bass player. It's Christmas time. Get a bass." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um And yeah, we weren't uh we certainly were not enemies but he was kind of <laughs> always out with his he was older than me he was out doing oh, yeah. his thing for a long time and it it took took m- many years of me uh developing my skills in my bedroom i think before i was really ready to to share it with him and i think it just kind of got to that point where it did make sense right around when i graduated high school i think me graduating high school kind of put us a little bit more on equal footing too Totally. Where it doesn't, totally. you, you know, you feel a little bit less like you're the dorky younger brother. And you guys um, both went to Roosevelt as well, right? I actually was in Nathan Hale. Hale, okay. He, he okay. was he was at Roosevelt though. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You, um, so, just really quick, were you guys playing jazz in high school? Another a little bit of. Um, there's some reviews and tidbits of info on your website and stuff that talk a little bit about this, but. Just like, um, was that part of kind of your guys' musical upbringing? It it wasn't especially. Um, okay. I think Dylan did a tiny bit of jazz bass at Roosevelt and didn't really stick. And I did jazz at Eckstein. I did jazz in middle school for a few mm, okay. years there. Um, Me too. Yeah. We might have. <laughs> nah, you're a little bit younger. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. But, uh. Well, it's um, when'd you graduate? <laughs> Middle this is a school? Seattle question, right there. No, when'd you graduate high school? I do the math from oh, there. 2010. Okay, yeah, you'd be too young for for us to have overlapped there. Um, but yeah, so I I did it in middle school, but I I can't say I really had the right private lessons teacher to um, help me to excel. Yeah. So I think I always felt pretty behind, and. I don't think it really even occurred to me after eighth grade that that was, that would be something that I'd continue with. I wanted to rock. Totally. Um, but it left the chip on my shoulder. This, this kind of, Oh, you know, if I could learn that jazz stuff, mm-hmm. I get really, I get really good. Um, so jazz for me really came from that, that little chip. And then, uh, Encountering rock music that used seven and nine chords, more interesting harmonies, and kind yeah. of going like, oh, yeah, 
I like, you know, I really got into jazz for the harmonies. Mm. And it's taken me some time to come around and go, oh, these melodies totally. are beautiful. And, oh, these harmonies exist because the melodies are so beautiful, you know? that It, it took so, such a long time to get this real understanding of, like, the harmony is accompanying the melody and mm-hmm. not the other way around and don't mm-hmm. get it twisted. You know, that's knowing, no, really understanding that that melody is, it's the heart and soul. It's the boss. It's, it's the thing yeah. that everything else is, is, uh, raising up. I just remember um, there's, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but there was some quote that I, I thought was really awesome and funny at the same time, which is like, Something about how it was talking about you guys and jazz growing up. And then it was like, you guys weren't about that life or something. Huh. <laughs> and then, and then like it started incorporating that into your, your music later on and stuff. I just yeah. thought that was kind of funny and stuck yeah, with me. I, I, I seem to remember writing something along those lines. <laughs> um, yeah. And it just wasn't, it, it didn't seem cool to me at, yeah. at that age. It didn't. And I, and I think I felt like a fish out of water in in that middle school band mm-hmm. where you know kids are already in this neighborhood in that in that neighborhood rather um kids are already excelling at that age and yeah. i was like reading tablature <laughs> mm-hmm. um and frankly i mean i think i i encounter this with a lot of my you know i have plenty of students that go to those schools now and how many I students think, do you teach um, Sorry. slightly so related. Just curious. <laughs> uh, uh, a lot. Uh, <laughs> upper twenties or so, oh, wow. and I'm not sure because then counting like the classes that I teach at Jazz Night School that are five to seven people also, and so that. But, but as far uh, as private lessons go, probably <laughs> 25 or so a week. I was running maybe oh, 30 or so for a lot of the pandemic. Whoa! So it's a Ooh. it's a living. That's a, um, that's a full plate. It's a full plate, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I've got a I've got a good amount that have gone through or are in Eckstein and Roosevelt jazz programs, and I do. I think it's sometimes really hard to feel part of the team as the guitar player in a big band. Mm. Interesting. That's a very yeah. A very Maybe in point. jazz, in jazz in general, you know, like a guitar gig. Well, you play accordion, you understand. A guitar gig is where, where it, didn't, it didn't pay enough to get a piano player, you know? <laughs> or the piano player didn't want to haul their whole rig out to it. Oh, that's um, very interesting perspective <laughs> here. So I started yeah. out as a piano player, and um, back when I was in college, I got put into a combo where there was both a piano player and a guitar player in the same band. And we all we always just really didn't know how to play with each other because we're both playing that chordal role and um it was much much later in life that i've finally figured out how to interact with the guitar player in the same band and not be all over each other and getting each other's way it stays tough if if either partner is not listening and behaving themselves and uh and there's so many different ways that you can approach it depending on the situation Mm, yeah, um, for sure. And can be, I think, particularly tough in the context of more modern jazz, particularly swinging stuff. Um, in things that are more of a funk or a Latin feel, mm-hmm. I try and absorb the role of more like a hand percussionist. I try and get real percussive to create my own space for myself sure um yeah and if it's if it's uh far enough back swing guitar can do a chunk 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 four to the bar rhythm nice Mm -hmm. and quiet and that's that's great but you get into 1950s or so and suddenly that feel uh does not really suit the music anymore totally right so if piano and guitar are both trying to comp in the same way at the same time, I've heard it described as uh, popcorn popping in the background. <laughs> so uh, it, can, it can be really true. But, you know, there are examples of people doing it really, really well. 
Yeah. And there's, there's a time and a place for everything. Right. Definitely. But I'm interested, Josh, what, like, um, what do you think makes that relationship work when it does work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, if you go with far enough back in history, kind of swing and that that's that I play in a swing band project with a guitar player, Andy Short, who's fantastic. And, but that's, is. that is the situation in which I developed more of a musical relationship between two chordal instruments in the same project. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, for that one. Yeah. I guess he, he just plays a lot of quarter notes and I comp more like a piano player does. And so that keeps us in our separate areas, but I've also played in another context where there's a guitar player, for example, like at a jam session at the angry beaver sessions that, uh, Max hosts, it's very common for me to be on piano or, or accordion. And then somebody else is playing guitar on the same song. And so you have to figure out ways to get out of each other's way and not play the same kind of stuff. So the classic um, just piano in a jazz combo or just guitar in a jazz combo is like you play, you fill up the spaces, right? Rhythmically and play Mm -hmm. chords to outline stuff, but your rhythms aren't as defined. And if both players, both guitar and, and accordion or piano are trying to do that, you're going to clash because the rhythms you're playing are not going to be exactly the same. And so yeah. uh, sometimes there's trading off, like one person comes for a while than the other person. Or sometimes I've seen like the guitar player just acts like a horn. They play melodies and they don't comp. And that's, that's the role they take. And um, I've also seen other accordionists do that as well. Like the accordion is a horn for this particular band. Um, yeah. And that's, that's another way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about what about you? Yeah, I um okay. So I love to comp, and I love mm. to comp in the in the style of a piano player, right? Sure. Um. So especially at a jam, um, I'm trying to not be a ball hog. <laughs> sure. And I'm I'm trying to be uh, an example, a role model to anyone else who's watching to kind of understand how to not be a ball hog. Um. But I also want to comp. So sometimes these two things are a little bit at odds. And I will... I will... It's almost like I'm bouncing more off the piano player than the soloist. Mm. It's kind of like I'm letting the piano player comp the soloist. And then I'm taking the scraps, maybe. And just <laughs> play, an, play an octave here or there. Think about how a guitar might play in um, gospel or R and B music. Sure, yeah, mm. and and just kind of put in some some little jabs, but or maybe I'll just stick to to guide tones. Can we say mm-hmm. guide tones on the radio? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. So so these are these are really the important notes in the chord that help to steer the harmony. Right. And my hope with that is that the piano player will play the more colorful stuff mm. and I can focus on just getting the good. I try and be consistent when the groove, and this yeah. is if, if I'm going to comp at the same time as the piano player, right. just to be clear there. Is this something right. that you ever talk to the piano player explicitly about? Uh, not at a jam. I think that's a great thing to do if it's your own band. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, I think something that, you know, at a jam, it is very rare that we get into the exact same rhythm together and play it together. True. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, or they start playing a clave, I start playing the same clave, they go to a different clave. Mm. Um, so it, it, it really just depends on, I would say if I'm playing at a jam session with a piano player, I am very focused on what the piano player is doing. And sure, it can be almost it's just too much because I'd like to be a little bit more in other other areas but it's just like a lot of work to make sure that i'm not cluttering things up yeah um but here's here's something that i might do i let the piano player comp the first soloist sure and i don't touch the instrument the whole time Mm -hmm. second soloist comes around i try and uh butt in a little bit Mm -hmm. and if they're not going to give me that ground i might even look at them I'll probably look at them and start playing chords and just sort of see what happens. Sure. And I think more often people kind of go, oh, 
I'm a, I'll give him a turn. He can take that solo. Sure. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, I just get out of the way. <laughs> and maybe on the, what if, you know, saxophone players burn in their, their last half of their last course, maybe I'll jump in when it's feels energetic enough that it's not really going to hurt things too much. That makes sense. Um, so, and then like, yeah, we'll go back to, if I'm really playing with the piano player, I might be playing guide tones. I might be playing mm-hmm. whole notes or, or octaves in, in whole notes. Sure. I might even be playing just single notes. Think of myself as a single moving inner voice. Um, I try not to take on a full on piano role in that situation. Yeah. I also would rather yeah. not comp a bass solo. Hmm. And that's just a personal textural preference. I feel like it often happens the opposite. They go, oh, bass solo, that's perfect for the guitar. Interesting. <laughs> but, but I feel like it, it's too many strings at once, especially if it's electric bass. But just in general, I just think texturally, the piano supports the bass solo, helps to keep them in tune better. Um, and like I said, I will, but I would rather it kind of worked out in a way that uh, the piano player is supporting the bass solo more often. Very interesting. I have kind of a silly question while we're on this topic, but um, typically, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but on the guitar, it's kind of hard to play both a melody and comp at the same time, right? Just due yeah. to kind of... We have to approach things in a linear way. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So I was wondering, do you ever think about um, if you're in a situation where you're either playing solo or accompanying somebody melodically and harmonically um do you ever think about it like two different voices like one voice kind of thinking uh harmonically or with chords and one voice kind of thinking melodically or does it all just flow like one singular uh voice with two different like facets i guess uh peter bernstein has uh a clinic you can see online and he talks about like the, the busted up orchestra as a metaphor, <laughs> a metaphor for solo guitar. Um, and I think it applies to, to a duo setting also, you know, any situation where I'm the bassist also, mm-hmm. um, or, or not, right. Even, even in a trio setting where I'm, where I'm melody and I'm chord. Yeah. This and, is something and, I've always wondered. I'm, no, I mean yeah. like, so, so, uh, first of all, you want to know all the parts really well. You want to know the melody really well. You want to be able to sing the melody while playing the chords. Right. Sing the melody while playing a skeleton of the bass line. Understand the harmonies. Understand what the inner voices are doing. Um, but so, so Peter Bernstein talks about this. You know, you walk into the room and it's like the bass is missing two strings, and the clarinetist is out sick, and <laughs> <laughs> you know you've got one trombone, but the other one, you know, the other one's got baseball that day. Uh, so, so it's just like you've got this you've got this minimalist orchestra you're working with um and then that we're kind of dealing in implications yeah. you set something up and then you kind of hope the audience will keep hearing that bass line mm-hmm. while you go on to something else if you listen to the first joe pass virtuoso album he i believe is using a pick a lot of the time which might mean you're still grabbing some things with fingers, but it's quite linear, meaning he's yeah. either playing bass, melody, or harmony at the same time, or linking a couple of the voices up artfully. Hmm. Is he able to hear all those things in his head at the same time? I think probably. Yeah. But it's pretty tough to articulate it all at once. And frankly, I think sounds cooler when you're leaving the space for one thing and another thing and another thing. Totally. I think most people listening are really only listening to one element at a time. Um, okay. There's a lot of Bach pieces that are a good example of yeah. of that of of three or four part harmony being implied through a single single voice with an occasional double stop or something. I guess one of the other reasons I was wondering is because sometimes when I'm playing like a drum solo and nobody's accompanying me, I sometimes will think of two different voices within whatever I'm playing. Uh, it could be different limbs or just like in terms of phrasing and stuff, but sometimes that can add more of a conversational like element if it's just drums or something. So I was wondering if that ever happened on uh guitar, but 
Yeah, it's very interesting. I have to check out that Peter Bernstein thing. Yeah. Well, he's got, man, he's got a lot of interesting little bits of philosophy. Also, it's like on my right hand, the thumb is kind of the left hand of the piano. Yeah. And the mm, fingers kind of become the right hand of the piano. Right. Totally. Uh, you know, which that's, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's, it's, it's a lot of sort of the right hand's doing the rhythm, right? And the left hand is doing all this preparation to get things in the right place. Mm-hmm. Just, just ahead of the right hand. And this probably goes into composition as well, right? Kind of this, if you're a guitar player, you kind of think this way. It probably affects how you write music too. Yeah, well, I and I, I go even further that like playing some piano really helps with that mm. style of guitar playing hmm. because it, it, it's almost like there's there's some things that are just so much easier to learn to hear on the piano. Um, like I'm certain that I spent a lot of time playing piano during COVID um, and I'm certain that it made my solo playing a lot better because mm, you're yeah. splitting your brain in two in a different <laughs> kind of way. Um, I believe you know, it in a way that helps you to kind of hear it better. Speaking of writing in piano, um, when you write for this, this band or, or, or really anything, do you write on guitar usually, or do you write on piano? Um, I would say, okay, so for the new album, mm-hmm. I think three of the originals are purely mine. And all three of those I wrote on the piano more or less directly into Sibelius. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm a little bit guilty of using Sibelius kind of like if it's a, it's a DAW, right? I'll come up, I'll come up with a part on the piano and then I'll punch it in, into Sibelius. I think some of these at this time I was even using the piano as the input, mm-hmm. which is clunky. And I, you know, I'd really be better off using a DAW. Um, but <sighs> I really want it to be done when I'm done writing. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, the, I yeah. like even even going back and editing charts when there's a mistake, and I'm just like, I just want to do it by hand. I don't know. I don't know what that. I think I just have a mental block about using a computer in general, which which made the last couple of years a little bit tough. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I really just want it to be done when I'm done. So being able to have it written and notated and ready to hand to uh, a musician as soon as I can really helps me to kind of move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe I should take a page out of your book. I have like 50 half finished songs and that's mainly because I don't use a notation software. <laughs> I just write yeah. by hand. Right. And I, I, I think Should that's a good way that. to do it. And I, it's not that I never, <laughs> not that I never do that that way, but more and more, it's like, I want it, I want it done with a intro and a coda and a title mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that when, when I, when I need a tune to share with someone, I can just go on the hard drive and go here, here's one, right? Totally. It's ready to go. And that might, that might mean I change. I often change the titles. But I want some sort of name. I don't like having a hard drive full of Untitled 1 and yeah. Work in Progress 3 and that kind of thing. It's just like there's yeah. no there's no relationship to that music when I come. And I don't know what it is. Whereas if I'm like, I called something, uh, I, I, have, I have a tune that I'm playing right now with the new project that the, the title is Puget Sound Coffee Co. And I despise that name, but... I know exactly what it is when I'm looking at it, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that was the one that I wrote that one morning when I was drinking the coffee looking out at the Puget Sound. Okay, cool. There we go. Yeah, and I sometimes even, I like, I think we all remember points where we've said really stupid things. It sticks with you, right? <laughs> so when yeah. you give something a really dumb title, I think in some ways it helps you to kind of bookmark the memory of creating the thing and whatnot, and it's easier to remember Definitely. it and call it. Interesting. Well, speaking of like compositions and titles and things, maybe we can give a listen to one of your tracks off of uh, this record. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Yeah. let's give a listen to The Wrecking Crew.
Wow. So in preparation for this episode, Ian, you had told us that the Wrecking Crew is actually the first of a set of three tunes that describe or are supposed to sound like a heist movie, which I think is a really, really cool concept. It's super fun. And this, to me, is just a very chill, but like mysterious vibe that's going on to, to me it sounded like the planning stages of a heist like who who's the cast of characters like people are laying out blueprints and stuff like that of like whatever building they're trying to break into i don't know these, these were the things i was imagining but i'm curious does that match how you visualized it while you were going about this um i would say that's definitely how i visualize it now oh interesting when i was when i was first writing it it was just music mm-hmm. uh, i have a friend who uh makes beer <laughs> it's a good thing to have he's <laughs> uh he's got a quote that's uh something along the lines of you can't you can't brew a bad beer but you can give it the wrong name Ooh, and whoa. i think that that really applies to instrumental music that you can hear the thing and figure out what story it's telling you and then hmm. name it appropriately and it helps to put the pictures into the audience's mind. Hmm. Um, like without without that title, well, it's instrumental music. It's not really about anything, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's something I've been doing with this band at least since since the second album. There's a track called "The Skeleton Boss." Again, it started off as music, but I listened to it and I was like, this clearly sounds like I'm fighting a boss in Zelda. Um, and so given it this name that hopefully helps to put that storyline into the audience's head. So more often than not, that's the order I'm going in. And that's definitely the order that I went in with with these songs where it's just like I wrote them and then I'm like, it's definitely that. Cool. Uh, and then I wrote all three and I went, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Huh. Um, so so I wish I could say I had this grand intent to make a concept ah. sort of thing. But but no, it was the songs came out and I realized, okay, there is there is a thread in between these that I can find and it creates a story. Interesting. So you wrote all three in completion before realizing they were a set together. Absolutely. Very huh. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they sound like a set. <laughs> yeah they do absolutely I, i'm that makes me even more curious about some of the other titles you have on this album too um where does i dream of jamie come from i i have to know oh that's a good one um that's that's uh that's my brother's composition that's a that's a oh, dylan okay. hughes original and he wrote he he maybe he was singing the melody or playing it in a dream so he literally it's like wrote- pajamas <laughs> I know. I think it's a. I think it's a uh, uh, a pun on on I dream of genie. Oh, okay. yeah. I believe that's the case. Um, but yeah, like pajamas. I like that. I'm going to tell him that. I don't think that was <laughs> the intention, know, but I mean. maybe it was. Um, but no, he literally wrote it while he was dreaming, and then wrote up and uh, woke up and wrote it out and brought it in to the band. That's pretty wow. cool. I'm sufficient is what I'd call it. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. I don't know how often I remember exactly what I was dreaming well enough to write it down. I mean, that's let alone that's, the melody, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you also have in bloom on this record, yeah. which I'm, that's a Nirvana song, unless I'm mistaken. You're right on. Um, it's a Nirvana song. Yeah. So where did that come from? Well, hey, I told you I wanted to rock. Um, <laughs> you do. <laughs> I mean, like, I picked up the guitar because of Nirvana. Ab- absolutely. You know, they. I think uh, I started playing guitar in, guitar in sixth grade. I was a bass clarinetist in sixth grade. By the end of sixth grade, I was not a bass clarinetist anymore. Um, <laughs> still love the bass clarinet. Uh, then, in in fact, there's there's some um, there's some bass clarinet on the second album on Get It, but. Uh, it was a really boring instrument as far as just like counting rests and then playing these really low ledger line notes. But any, anyways, I just got super <laughs> into Nirvana. I don't, I don't know if this is the same for y'all, but 
Oh, I love Nirvana. I, I felt like the music that that I listened to in middle school was a big part of my identity and even my friend choices and things like that. I don't feel oh, like huge. kids I don't feel like kids do that as much anymore, which which I think is mostly cool. Um but awesome. also I you know, I feel like the kids don't even, it's just like, Hey, what, what music do you like? They're like, let me get my phone out <laughs> and look at my mm. Spotify playlist. Like you don't even know the names of the artists. Whereas we knew the names of every single song in order on our, band one of our four CDs that we own. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we knew the band members. And I remember memorizing the, the order of discography for bands I liked and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was, it was important. I'm constantly telling my students to come in with like songs that they've listened to and liked. And it really takes a lot of doing, you know, especially the younger ones. They're like, well, I don't know. I was listening to this uh, radio station on my phone and (laughs) song just came on. I don't know what it was, uh, but it sounded cool. (laughs) Okay. Well, Well, you can get right down, you know? Yeah. Now how do we find it? Like (laughs) it is tough. And I, I, I do feel like the building the relationship with the music as a brand and as a product is not, um, not as much a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to music, I'm all for that. <laughs> you know, you should, yeah. you should sport the music you like, like it's a brand new pair of Nikes. Uh, I'm down with that. Uh, my, uh, my girlfriend has a nephew who's like, I know that song. It's by YouTube. <laughs> Oh, oh man, he's three. He's three. Uh, that still <laughs> gets an oh boy, it, but still like, oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's by it's by YouTube. Fascinating. Oh, um, but so <clears throat> really like Nirvana in middle school. I think I definitely outgrew it, and I got into I don't know. I guess more complicated music. Um. And then I played this song in Bloom with a friend of mine, Miles Lawrence, who's a great saxophone player who I went to Shoreline Community College with. And he just wanted to play it, and we arranged it for a duo. And it's really cool. And it's something that you find in grunge music in general is really beautiful implied harmonies. Because the guitar mm-hmm. and bass are playing unisons and you know power chords, they're playing mm-hmm. really, really simple harmony. Uh, if you can even call it that, they're basically just playing <laughs> bass bass melodies, and that's not a jab. It just kind of is is what it is. It's all implied by the relationship between what's going on in the guitar and the bass and what the vocals do. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at this tune. There are some really, really interesting chord movement. I agree. Um, and and a lot of interchange in between uh, B-flat major and B-flat minor. We're seeing a lot of this interplay uh, between the, the, the parallel major and minor, or borrowed chords. Uh, and then the intro is extra weird. The intro is like four different fairly unrelated major chords moving Mm -hmm. around. Um, And I think the way that I arranged it probably made it even, even a little bit more um, strange than what happens when it's just power chords. I mean, Uh, one of of my favorite piano players, uh, Brad Meldow plays a lot of Nirvana songs and goes crazy places with them. Like places I would have never even, begun to imagine um and this is a totally new way of of reimagining this song too the way that you've done it and i think it's really cool to see just how people can take a song like this and just make it something like so unique thank you and i like i think it's important that we're doing this uh from the context of (laughs) I don't want to say moving the genre along or the tradition. I don't even like to think of jazz. I don't even like the word jazz. I think most of us are probably on a similar similar level with that, but moving along the traditions that come along with jazz in, 
I don't know. Were, were y'all lucky enough to have parents that were playing old jazz records and standards in the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, My okay. I, I had a really. feeling with you, Max. <laughs> what it's about you, like Josh? Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire, but yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, well, that, okay. It's <laughs> a little different. Um, yeah, Count Basie, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I, I had very, I think when my grandma came over, they'd put on an Ella and Louie CD. Okay. So I, I, I knew some of those tunes and things and I did the middle school band. So there was some exposure to that, but we're not really living in a society where people are growing up hearing these old songs. It's true. So I think really rethinking a little bit of like, what is a standard has certainly helped me to relate to the music more. And I'm quite certain it will help the next generation and the next generation to do the same. And by hearing, hearing songs that, you know, like hearing the bad plus or Brad Meldow cover, cover Nirvana beautifully or (laughs) cover Iron Man. (laughs) So beautifully. Um, helps to get you interested in just like, oh, where did this come from? And hopefully want to delve further back and further back and further back. And I know that's always been my experience with music is I, I even with classical music also starting with something a little bit more modern and working back to appreciate the, the original innovators and the more classic parts of the genre. I mean, I think it took me a long time before I could I could really appreciate what's going on in in Bach. Um, yeah. Well, I think depending on where where you're, you know, what circles you're growing up in, there will be totally different standards too. I mean, for sure, some people are going to hear completely different music. Well, most people are going to hear completely different music, I think, than most other people when they're growing up. So, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things that the internet has probably brought to the world is just that, like, now there's so many different tiny groups of of things that are going on. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to have their own, like, little group of of songs that they remember from certain periods of their life. It might totally not be the same thing at all. Yeah. Right, because we were were subject to what, what songs were being played on the radio in our region, mm-hmm. but it might not have been all that different. And it might've been, well, we heard these three matchbox, matchbox 20 songs on our radio station. And they, they had these three ones or something like that, or this, this third eye blind song got played more frequently in our area and whatever, or but it was still a lot of the, the same, yeah. the same groups and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but now it's like, very personal Mm -hmm. and not for most of the kids that I know, I don't get the sense that it's at all genre specific. Not at all. Most of these kids, it seems like they're all over the place and what they listen to. Um, and I think that's really cool, but I also think many of them are not going, uh, this step further to kind of get to know the music that they like and why they like it. And also, they need to get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> also, we uh, just turned 75 and 80 this year. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wonder my back hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah. How long have we been sitting here? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking of long times, uh, you recorded this album in January of 2020. Is that correct? Yeah. Talk about <laughs> That that feels like simultaneously yesterday and like a past lifetime um, at this point. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. So this was recorded live, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. At the chapel. Is that right? It was at the yeah the chapel performance space. Very nice. Um, what made you release this now after? More than two years. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is it took a long time to get everything done. Totally. Um, I was moving slowly through a shroud of COVID depression and just uh, adjusting to the new lifestyle of being 
online teaching lessons all day, which uh, really depleted my energy. Mm. And yeah, you know, the person who mixed it was dealing with long COVID symptoms. Oh I found gosh. that out long after the fact. Um, and actually the video person was done like two weeks into the pandemic, to be honest, he, he was on it. Um, and then just each, each step, it was both me being slow and also just kind of needing to ping pong things back and forth, things that I would have just gone and sat with someone in the room for a day and it would have been done. But kind of subtracting that social aspect, it just took a really long time. Uh, Kind and of then felt it like was done, was and I kind of sat. I mean, say that again. Oh, it just kind of felt like everything was on pause anyway. So yeah, it, like, it sort of felt why like why would the I do this now? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like had it been done in the first month or two of COVID, that would have been a great time to do a digital watch party and release this concert footage and and put that out there. But not long into COVID, I just felt like we were so inundated with live streams and digital content. And I personally mm. was sick of it. Yep. And I just feel like putting out that content, then you were in direct competition with Netflix. You know, I was like, well, That's I could watch, I could it. watch my buddy's live stream or I could watch another episode of breaking bad. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I, 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 that was probably a pessimistic mindset to have, but that was kind of my feeling of like, we've got plenty of this right now. I want to save this as something that can try and kind of bolster us when we're getting back into playing again. So I'd say that's really why it's coming out when it is, is because now we're playing shows again. And, totally. Uh, I think we all know you're not going to make too much money off of album sales. You're not going to make too much money off of video streams and you're not going to make too much money playing shows either, but having the videos and the music as something that helps to promote, Hey, we're out doing this again. Seemed like the best thing to do with it. Cool. Yeah. I that agree. Well, should we listen to another track? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's okay. get to the second song in the set. Let's take a listen to The Art of Revenge. Thank you. 
This is maybe to my ears the most like in the middle of the heist sounding, which makes sense. It's the second out of three, <laughs> but it mm-hmm. sounds like stuff is happening. I really, really enjoy this tune. And thank you. It reminds me uh, of a lot of heist movies that I've seen. And I'm curious were there soundtracks or films that you were thinking of or were inspired by or, or, in particular film composers that you like listening to that uh, kind of made its way into this. Oh, I mean, honestly, this came in a phase where I was listening to a lot of snarky puppy. Ah, nice. Um, hmm. So that's, that's probably the biggest influence on the sound of this tune. That makes um, sense to me. I believe it's original name was 420 slurp. Cause I wrote it on, on an April 20th. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, don't, I, 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 I think I wanted it to be a little, a little stony, in 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 kind of that especially the opening groove is not quite reggae but just a little um kind of easing into it but no not not really as far as um i like film music but i'm not a connoisseur of it by by any means i don't even want to start talking about it because i i feel like i'd be saying like yeah i like pepsi and coca-cola <laughs> those are great film composers yeah, yeah, right? you know? oh, yeah. yeah like i know a couple names <laughs> but um yeah no it really really came from listening to a lot of snarky puppy we like it here mm-hmm. and uh um, listening through some of those songs and not so much trying to steal the melodies or the grooves, but the forms mm, and something that I really appreciate about some of the tunes on that album is the way it really showcases the groove. Mm-hmm. It does. And then the melody comes in and then it gets back to the groove for a little bit. So it really takes time getting to where it's going. Um, and in the process, you get to hear how the different instruments are talking to one another, which is something I really aimed for. I was going to say, you get to hear some of the things you wouldn't otherwise actually hear. I like that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so not a huge influence from any sort of film, but I do think of it as, it's like the part in Home Alone where he's setting up all the traps. Or the part part in Ocean's Eleven where you're kind of seeing the heist happening from a bunch of different angles, but you don't know exactly what's, what's going to happen you're kind of just seeing a little bit here a little bit here a little bit here a little bit here and then it goes somewhere else and you, you kind of leave it with this vagueness of oh, I, I know they just did something but i'm not quite sure how it is going to end up i think i need to see oceans 11 <laughs> maybe yeah you <laughs> both both the original and the remake are different oh vibes but both great <laughs> yeah. movies oh boy yeah. Okay. Just don't watch Ocean's 13. <laughs> okay. Huh. 11 it is. I haven't seen that one yet. So, oh, really? okay. I am really curious about the mix process of this. You talked about a lot of this happening during COVID, uh, but mm-hmm. there's one thing in particular that I'm just very, very curious about. It happens in, uh, I think, yeah, it happens in the intro and Wrecking Crew. And it also happens in... Uh, the trumpet intro in one of the other tunes and I, the the title that escapes me now, but the guitar in the intro, I think of wrecking crew, it starts out on one side of the stereo field, like either right or left. I can't remember. It kind of scoots into the middle 
and swoops out to the left and it comes back. And then the trumpet does that on another tune. What is going on here, especially in a live concert setting was, were you two like moving around and the microphones were static or it was just something interesting that you wanted to throw in 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 the mix? It was something that I, I personally asked for. Interesting. Um, And I think it was, I think I gave Abbey Road a listen around Mm. the time where I was mixing it. Sure. Hmm. I think I was trying to kind of listen to a lot of classic records and think about that when I was ping-ponging back and forth uh, with with the engineer, uh, Carl. And I just noticed some points in Abbey Road where that happened, hmm. which probably was more of a cutting-edge thing at that point. <laughs> sure. But I just thought it was really cool and th- thought it maybe would be a artful breaking of the fourth wall. Um, mm. that most people aren't going to notice. So nice, nice job, Josh. You must have <laughs> listened on headphones. We're musicians. Um, <laughs> and I just love that feeling when I'm listening to something on headphones and I hear, I don't want it happening all the time, but I hear an instrument enter on one side and kind of move through to the other. Sure. It feels very cinematic to me. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. thought that fits, fits some of the music, but I totally forgot I had done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's a really cool sound it definitely caught my attention and uh <laughs> yeah. made me maybe pay um extra attention to the music so yeah it was really cool well i i've got one one last simple question really quick what kind of car is on your album cover <laughs> is it is it an mg i I don't know. I'd have to talk oh, to. Oh no! I'd have to talk. I'm well, going to be here's, stuck here's, with this question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's an actual model or not. I'm sure it's based on something, but it's completely, okay. uh, it's completely 3D computer rendered. Oh, okay. Maybe so, that's why um, I was tr- struggling with it. Kyle Kirkpatrick, who was the drummer on, uh, get it on our second yeah. album. Um, and is a long, long time friend of Dylan. Dylan and I, we used to play in a band called Reef Encounter um, many years ago. Uh, is also a fantastic um, graphic digital, designer. Graphic digital. graphic yeah. designer. That's the term I was looking for. <laughs> um, but but and and then some. You know, it's just like he's just so creative and so clever. And he was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this." <laughs> That's okay, cool. That's, that sounds brutal to me, but <laughs> go, I was just—I cu- was very yeah. curious. I was like, "Yeah, what is that?" Hmm. Well, I'll have to—I'll have to ask him. But yeah, I, I do not know what kind of car that is. Okay. Very cool. cool. Um, yeah. Well, Can we hear Freudian Slurp live anytime soon, or anything? Or yeah, you know. Um, so obviously the album's out already, but. We're kind of having our our final album release party, which will be the day that I put the rest of the videos online as well on June third mm. at uh, cool. the Sea Monster at eight p.m. Oh, nice. So we're opening up for for Funky to Death. That's awesome. very cool. Um, and I'm playing with my new trio on May twentieth at Kaluna. Okay, nice, very cool, super exciting. Who's in the new trio? Um. This particular gig is going to be Joey Walbaum on the piano and mm-hmm. Alex Deering on the bass. Nice. Nice. So I'm, I'm really excited. It's my, my first gig with Alex in a very long time. Yeah. Um, so Sounds like it'll be that's fun. That's going to be fun. And Kaluna, have you, have you two played there yet? I have, yeah. I yeah, it's the former, well, the guy who owned Tula's opened that place up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got a great just, piano in there. Great piano and... Small, intimate, everybody mm-hmm. listening kind of vibe. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a great place to play kind of the calmer side of my music, which is a lot of the writing that I did during COVID. I I feel like was like supposed to be anti anti anxiety medication for myself. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, very cool. nice. Well. We are running up on time here, but thank you so much for joining us for this time. Yeah, and thanks, this Ian. Is a wonderful record. Um, everybody should go check it out and listen to it. Yeah. I agree. 